Welcome everyone. I'm Russell Alexander to Family Law Now, our podcast. We are recording our uh, presentation today using Zoom and it's also going to be made available to our viewers on YouTube. Today's topic is child access during self-isolation, lockdowns, and quarantines. We have a group of uh, professionals who are going to help us walk us through these issues today. I'm just going to do a brief introduction of who you are, where you are, what your practice is. Um, Jonathan, can you start off? Sure, yeah. My name is Jonathan Painter. I'm a registered social worker and I work um, in the Newcastle Peterborough area. I do um, uh, family mediation, uh, collaborative family law, uh, family arbitration, and psychotherapy. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Russ. Francesca? Hello, I am Francesca King. I am a family lawyer, collaborative professional and mediator based in Milan, Italy. Thank you for joining us. Um, really appreciate it. Alison Gardner, somebody Hi. needs no introductions, but let's, uh, let's get one anyway. Hello, uh, I'm a registered social worker and my practice is in Markham, Ontario. My practice provides specialized service related to families impacted by separation and divorce, including custody and access assessments, family mediation, voice of the child reports, and reintegration therapy. Great. Thank you for joining us today, Allison. Uh, so we have an agenda and a bunch of things. We, we've got a big agenda. Let's uh, make a start. I'm going to talk briefly about Ontario court decisions regarding child access and COVID-19. Uh, these decisions are starting to drip out of the Superior Court. We've got a handful over the last week. Um, the court is certainly doing the best it can with the technology it can to help families during this pandemic. Uh, some themes we're seeing throughout the cases are families that go to court with existing orders and families that go to court with no orders in place. Uh, we're seeing themes and comments and direction from uh, the Chief Justice that uh, family lawyers have a higher expectation on them now to get these cases resolved outside of the court system because of the limitations that are in place. Judges are very concerned and I think will act uh, when it appears a parent is trying to use COVID-19 to change custody. I think they'll step in and make an order if that's the facts before the case. The, some of the earlier decisions appear to water down the definition of urgency or emergency. It seemed to be evolving based on the family circumstances. Uh, we got a case a, a couple of days ago that uh, was a strict interpretation of the uh, practice directive um, dismissing the case and uh, sending it back to the lawyers to figure out. The court also throughout its uh, various decisions reminds the public of its limited ability to deal with cases. Uh, the process in Ontario is we have a triage judge who will receive materials um, in a digital format. They only have one conference line in the Tri-County right now to have conference calls with judges and then um, they may or may not make a temporary order. So some of the decisions we have, and these are gonna be show notes to our presentation today, so you can find them attached to uh, today's podcast or YouTube video. Uh, we have a decision from Justice Kaufman 
uh, at a new market where he ordered a child returned from the United States and granted the relief that was being sought. Um, that was uh, a fairly um, proactive decision. We have a decision of the Superior Court in Hamilton um, where parents wanted to suspend parenting time in custody because of uh, concerns about the other parent's ability to self-isolate. Um, the court did not suspend access in that case and ordered the access to continue, taking judicial notice of the uh, requirement for everyone to self-isolate. And that's a factor that goes into the best interest of the ch children. We've got Justice McPherson uh, releasing a decision in Douglas and Douglas. That is the case that took um, a strict interpretation of the Chief Justice's uh, directive when dealing with urgent matters and non-urgent matters. Uh, that case, they found there was no urgency in the motion was dismissed and counsel was asked to work out a resolution. Um, it was dismissed at this time. So I suppose if access continues to be denied in that case and the lawyers can't not work it out, the judge may revisit it. Um, and then finally, March 27th, uh, just yesterday, we've got a new directive from the Chief Justice of the Superior Court of Justice, um, remind, reminding the public and recognizing it's got a constitutional responsibility to ensure access to justice remains available. And there, they're uh, signaling they're going to expand the program and some of the they're going to reduce some of the restrictions and expand access to justice and they're making changes right now we're told that it changes will be in place effective april 6 2020. Uh, so i suspect they're probably updating their technology and trying to accommodate more um, cases that are coming in so that's what's happening in ontario um, Let's go to our next topic, um, Allison, how to talk to your children about COVID-19 and this pandemic. What are your tips for our listeners? So COVID-19 has brought many changes to children's daily lives and children of separated parents who regularly move between their homes, COVID-19 could have brought changes to their access schedule as they know it. There could be changes in the amount of time they spend with each parent, changes in what that time actually looks like, as well as changes how transitions occur. It's really important to talk to your child about these modifications, adjustments in their access schedule in view of COVID-19 as children like to know, be prepared and not be left to wonder. If you're unsure about how to talk with your child about COVID-19 and the parenting time, you could prepare a script in advance it's important when you talk to your child to be grounded as your child looks to you um, to feel safe and you role model for them. So if you're dysregulated when you're talking to them about their access schedule in context of COVID-19, uh, it can remote the same in them. So if you're calm when you're speaking to them, they're going to be calm. When talking to your child, be honest without evoking fear. You can answer simply and please um, provide as much reassurance as you can. Um, they definitely look to you, uh, to their parent, for that safety and comfort. You can explore their feelings, let them know their feelings are okay. Many people may be feeling this way at the time. And also listen to your child when you're having that discussion. 
What questions might they have? And can you answer without providing too much information that might be overwhelming for them? We don't have all the answers and that's okay. Lastly, I advise you to trust your instincts as you know your child best. Right. And that applies to uh, adult children too. I know my daughter's 20 and we're self-isolating right now and it seems like things are changing daily or by the hour. So my wife and I will talk about it and our daughter is sitting right there and you gotta be mindful that uh, they're absorbing all this information. So I, I try to turn to her and ask her, how are you feeling about this? How are your friends doing? How are they coping with this? And include them in the conversation if you're having one with your other spouse. Sorry, Jonathan, did you want to pike in on this? I just wanted to emphasize something that Allison said, which was a really good point, is it's really important for you to be as honest as possible with the kids, but speak at their developmental level. Right. Because if you, if you lie to them or provide them with false information, they're going to find it out in the end, and that's going to be more harmful than uh, being open and honest with them. Francesca? Yes, I, uh, I, I really appreciated the comments and the idea of being able to be honest without enforcing fear. And that can be difficult because if you are feeling fear as a parent, it's going to be difficult not to pass it over. But I think that's, uh, it's the key. And as you were saying, Russell, really to be able to talk at their level and check in with them at the same time, making sure that you're and they're usually as informed or more informed than we are through social media and their friends and um, very concerned, obviously. This is, you know, growing up, you know, we all had sort of the 9-11 incident in New York that we lived through. And this is sort of their major crisis that they're going through right now. Um, great tips, though, guys. Let's go to our next topic. How to support your children's well-being through COVID-19 uh, and this pandemic. Jonathan, can you um, take a crack at that? Sorry, uh, Russ, you cut it there for a second. Can you uh, repeat that? Yeah, we're going to our next topic, how to support your children's well-being through COVID-19 and this pandemic. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, I think the most important thing is to make sure that you and the children are following all the uh, guidelines put forward by the health authorities. So making sure that they're washing their hands on a regular basis. And you know, one thing that uh, I've noticed um, that, that we do with our kids is that we ask them, did you do a good job you know, brushing your teeth or washing your hands? And they always say yes. And then you find out later they did a terrible job because what's a good job to them might be different from what's a good job to us. And also keep in mind that kids don't have a very good sense of time. So if you ask them to wash their hands for 20 seconds, they're probably not going to know how long that is, especially the younger they are. Um, so it's important for them to get educated on that, watch videos about hand washing, and then you should also actually watch them do it to make sure they're doing it properly. And if they're not, provide them with you know, uh, positive guidance on how to do it properly. It's also important, like everything in our lives right now is, is completely changed. We're not going to school, we're not going to work. We're not you know, going to friends and family's houses, having birthday parties. So it is important for you to establish and maintain a healthy routine for the kids um, so that they're not spending the whole day in bed or the whole day on their tablet or video game console. Um, so schedule things during the day like exercise, play, learning, you know, and of course they're gonna be on their electronics more than normal now, especially when parents have to work from home. 
you know, sometimes that's the only option for them. Um, but it, it is important for you to establish and maintain a healthy routine. One of my friends uh, who lives in the U.S. has uh, created a, a whiteboard with a schedule on it, and you have to check off that you've done all the things right. on the whiteboard. It doesn't matter what order it is, but you have to do your chores, you have to get exercise, you have to spend some time reading, some time doing math, that kind of thing. So I think that's really helpful. Um, and one sort of useful tip, um, Russ, have you ever heard of the uh, experiment where they ask kids to pretend to be soldiers? No, I haven't heard that. Okay, so a bunch of researchers wanted to figure out um, what's the difference if you ask a kid to play a game versus not play a game in terms of learning. So they lined up a bunch of kids and asked them to stand as still as they can in a line for as long as possible. And the kids couldn't, and these were kids probably about four or five years old, and they couldn't stand in the line for more than about 11 seconds. Right. And then they took another group of kids and asked them to stand in a line and pretend that they were soldiers. And the kids could manage standing in the line for a lot longer, like three or four times the amount of time. So it, it just, uh, the point is that making learning fun is always better than learning something in a boring rote way. So try to make learning as fun as possible so you can introduce crafts or games or um, making fun videos about a certain topic that you want the kids to learn about. Um, <clears throat> so another, uh, another tip just to emphasize is that, that kids just like adults need a lot of exercise in the day. Right. And it's gonna be a lot harder to do when you're stuck at home. Uh, particularly for, for someone like me who's on quarantine because I was traveling. So make sure that you build exercise into the day. should be getting about 60 minutes. There's lots of uh, options. Even if you're in, in a smaller home or an apartment, you can watch YouTube videos that have uh, yoga for kids, um, you know, uh, video games that involve dancing, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and, you know, you should do your best to limit electronic time um, and offer them an alternative so it's not enough for you to just say get off your electronics you have to you know offer to play a board game with them or do a craft with them or play some other kind of game with them <clears throat> those are great tips routine exercise the um, you can also create new uh, routines um, in addition to the existing ones we're fortunate enough to have a basketball net on our driveway so my daughter and I are regularly playing 21 and shooting the basketball where if we weren't isolating, I'd be at work and she would be doing something else. So, and you know, we've bought some puzzles off of Amazon. So we kind of have family time trying to put the puzzle together. And uh, so these are sort of new routines we're developing uh, just to try right. to keep everybody puzzles are hard to come by these days. Yeah, a lot of them were sold out, you're right. And uh, I just want to make one more point is that sure. uh, you want to um, try to limit kids time on social media, especially um, teenagers, because um, what happens is, is on social media, you get into this echo chamber where you only hear right. opinion repeated over and over again. And that can really um, affect kids anxieties. And, um, you know, if, if that echo chamber is filled with false information, then they're going to get their head filled with all this uh, nonsense and that might make it more difficult for them to manage. That's a good tip for adults in terms of selecting and limiting your media and news, um, news content each day. Francesca, can you help us with how to support your children's well-being? 
um, yes, well, um, I think the important thing is really to uh, following up with what Donald is saying is uh, being able to keep uh, and to maybe create a new routine in the house and then stick to that and to build in in this new routine as if it's normal all the uh, precautions or the behaviors that we now have to follow for this emergency and try to actually make them part of this routine if this is something uh, normal and easy. I think it really depends on, on the age of, of the children, how you actually do that. It can be more playful or it can be more talking and dialoguing as they grow up, but that's certainly important. And I think as parents, we also have uh, um, an important role model to play there. So uh, be making sure that we follow that routine, that we have our own uh, way of actually behaving in this in this crisis that is consistent with what is required and what is helpful to, to make a, a well-being uh, environment. Right, yeah. Sh show some leadership. If mom and dad are in bed all day, why should I get out of bed? <laughs> uh, mom and dad. Or involved on like we 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 had a moment with uh, a lot of uh, Zoom uh, happy hours and uh, yeah. things, which, mm -hmm. which are fun. But that's also a moment when we can be involved without them. So let's make sure that. Either they are part of them or, or that they have a moment where they can have that too. Yeah, I was really big on uh, the Zoom happy hour idea, and I still am, but we started to see, you know, we would finish our jobs uh, remotely, uh, kind of rush through dinner because we're going to be Zooming with friends and then spend two, mm -hmm. three hours Zooming, and then our daughters kind of left out of the, the picture. You know, this is sort of traditionally family time. So there's a lot happy of screen time. Yeah, the Zoom happy hour is a good thing. I'm starting to wind it down and call last call it in 20 minutes and maybe not do it every day, spread it out a bit because it does have effect on um, the children. You know, what, you just get off work and now you've gone on a Zoom call with all your friends. So you need to be mindful of that. Allison, how can we support our kids? Uh, what takeaways do you have for us? Um, yeah, just picking up on something Jonathan said, which I think was really important, was he speaking about his friend using the whiteboard. And I think it's important to tap into how is your child going to receive the information the best, right? Are they visual? Um, are they oral? So if they are visual, you know, you can have that schedule for them and they can participate in making it with you, which is right. fun. So it's something you're doing together, um, and they can also have input to that, which is which is a nice thing to do as a family. Um, and then they also, take then they take ownership of it too, right? Absolutely, right? right? Yeah, and carve out maybe they have ideas that they want to do and how they want to spend that time that you've never thought of. Um, so it's 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 nice to get their input. Um, also, um, going back to what you said, Jonathan, around the washing your hands, sort of the hygiene stuff. If you have children going between two parents' homes, it's nice to encourage them to do that routine at both homes. So right. not just in one parent's house, but whatever's happening around the practices to ensure everyone's safe and healthy, that that's happening in both homes. Great tips. Thank you, guys. Uh, let's move on to our next topic. Tips for co-parenting while separated during COVID-19 and this pandemic. Uh, can you take the lead on that, Jonathan? 
Yeah, so I think the the overarching uh, guide should be that. So um, if if there is a chance that you could have contracted the uh, virus either through travel or contact with someone else, then uh, you should put yourself in quarantine and follow that quarantine to the letter and wait to see the kids until the quarantine is over. Or if the kids are with you when you're exposed or traveling with the kids, then you keep the kids until that quarantine time is over. And that's going to be uh, a challenging thing for a lot of families. Um, because it might mean that you won't see your kids for a few weeks and that can be really difficult. Right, uh, and, and parents in Ontario are being asked to stay at home, not necessarily because they've been traveling abroad um, and you know, self-isolate, so to speak. What are your tips for parents who are in separate homes, um, but you know, everybody's getting pretty anxious about the children traveling? Well, I think uh, a couple of those um, court cases that we've seen recently are, are pretty um, helpful in help, helping us understand what the priority is. And I think the message in those court cases was clear that um, contact between the kids and the parents is really important and shouldn't be um, set aside um, if there's a, even a risk of contracting the illness. Now, it's different if you know someone has the right. illness or if they've been traveling, but if, if it's just a risk that they're gonna uh, contract going back and forth between the houses, the risk doesn't outweigh the risk to their emotional health by not seeing both uh, sets of parents. So I think it's yeah. really important that the uh, children continue to go back and forth. Like Allison said, it's really important that both sets of parents follow all the uh, guidelines and rules about uh, washing and, and uh, uh, self-isolation and that kind of thing. Social one, one, one judge even went so far as to say this is a good opportunity uh, for children to spend more time with both parents because everybody's oh, at home. It's and that's in the best interest of their, the, the children. So even though the existing agreement might provide for some limited access, this is an opportunity to increase time with both parents. Yeah, and it's wonderful because, you know, normally we would be working at all, all day. The kids would be at school, so we might only see them for a couple hours between school and bedtime. Now we get the whole day with them. Right. You know, obviously that requires a shift if we're working from home because we may not have to, we may not be able to work from home as easily when the kids are with us, but it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to spend more time with your kids, connect with them, you know, really get down to their level and play with them. Um, I think it's also important for the, um, the parent who's not in quarantine to be flexible in terms of the schedule when the quarantine's over, like maybe offering some makeup time uh, and, and because you know, they, they may miss two or three weeks with the children. So offering uh, some extra time when that quarantine is over, I think is a really good idea and it will help improve the relationship between the separated parents. Um, and, you know, when in doubt, follow your separation agreement. Um, this is not a time to go to court and try to argue uh, for a, a new uh, separation um, uh, agreement or a new schedule, I should say. So, um, you know, obviously flexibility in these situations is really important. But if, if flexibility is causing conflict, then you want to fall back on the existing schedule and not mess with that in the time where, you know, there you're going to have a, a really hard time 
uh, changing that schedule in the context of this pandemic. Right. Uh, and I would also recommend that parents uh, use the technology that's available to connect with their children when they're not with them. So uh, Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, uh, Facebook Messenger video, all that kind of stuff. It, you know, we live in a fantastic time for this to happen. And I've heard this said many times, and I've said this many times myself, if this had happened in the 90s, we wouldn't ha have had the technology to be able to connect with people. And it would have been a lot harder to, to manage. But now we have things like Zoom where we can get together and chat. Um, right. So we actually are really lucky uh, where technology is right now. Yeah, and, and we're going to get into this a little bit later uh, when we talk about the situation in Italy. Uh, it just We need to be mindful of some of the terms we're using. Self-isolation, you're choosing to do it. Uh, our governments are currently encouraging people to stay home and not work unless you're an essential service. Quarantine is what we see, you know, recently travel travelers internationally will be ordered to stay home uh, and not, uh, it's not a suggestion anymore. Uh, lockdown is, I think, a step up from that where the whole community is locked down. I think we're gonna talk a little bit about that with respect to Italy, but um, maybe we can just, on a specific topic before we, dive deeper into those issues. Uh, Francesca, tips on co-parenting while separated? Um, well, this is, uh, I think the, the main tip would be to see this as an opportunity to try and talk as parents the more you can. And we know that these highly emotional moments can either work in conflict in two ways, sort of bring it up and escalate it, or uh, be a moment when you can actually try and have a, a different dialogue. And of course, I think our job as professionals is to really encourage this second moment. Also, because one thing that happens is that if you have children that are moving from one house to the other, these that were two separate houses become, uh, from the virus point of view, like a just a one environment. So right. it would really be important that parents are able to share the rules that they are applying. Uh, while following the sort of guidelines or rules that are required, but also deciding who can have access to the house. So if, if we're thinking of families that maybe are more open with uh, new partners that are living there or with uh, children from other partners that are having access right. to one of the two houses, it's very important that uh, parents can try and talk about and define some common uh, ground rules because of course that widens the circle of that family right. um, it would be great if all the members of this big family would is, are sharing the same the same rules so that's something that I've seen very difficult at the moment here in Italy right. um, I have been hearing from a lot of clients seriously worried about uh, the other parent being actually able to keep up with the um, in their opinion, you know, to the rules that should be uh, or are required to, to be in place. So that's yeah. something that is good important. Yeah, good to think of. Alison? Yeah, uh, I guess the biggest thing for me is I, you know, similar to um, what everyone else has said, it's an opportunity for parents to work together. Um, this is a very unusual time. 
Um, and if you can focus on what's best for your child and work together, you're going to promote harmony. You're going to promote peace um, rather than further stress and anxiety in the um, cooperation between and the co-parenting arrangement as well as just the family unit at large. So try to be understanding, respectful of one another. And back to what Jonathan was saying, it's really important that the children have opportunity to see both parents. Right. Um, they need that time, they need that reassurance, and they need to um, be able to be in both homes and have that loving times with both families. Yeah, great. One more thing, Russ. Please, yes. That if you have been exposed to the virus or if you've been traveling that you're honest with the other parent and upfront right. about that it's not okay to lie about that and you could get into big trouble not just with in, in the separation stuff but with the the public health authorities if you don't tell the truth so you know uh just you know accept that you have to be in quarantine for a while and be open and honest with the other parents about that yeah do what's best for the child yeah and uh, some of the cases reflect that if um, traveling between homes, they want parents to set out a specific plan to deal with isolation and how um, the parenting is going to go. And I think if the court's not satisfied with the plan, they will deny the request. So the court's certainly picking up on those themes. All right, let's move to our next topic. Uh, tips for separated parents who are living in the same home. Now, lots of our clients live separate and apart under the same roof in ordinary circumstances. They do that for a number of reasons. Some do it because they don't want to create a new status quo with respect to parenting. Others do it because they don't, do not have the finances in place to live in two separate homes or they're waiting for the matrimonial home to sell when they can both get their capital and go their own way. Obviously, <clears throat> In the best of circumstances, that can be a difficult and stressful experience. But now we've got COVID-19 and the pandemic. Uh, so what tips do we give parents living in the same home, um, trying to manage uh, this crisis? Jonathan, you want to take a, or no, I think I'm going to turn it out. No, yeah, we'll start with Jonathan. Sorry. Okay. Um, as always, but now more important than ever, uh, it's, all, it's really important for you to communicate with the other parent in a, as professional a way as possible. Um, adding emotions to your discussion never helps. Um, so do what you can to keep the emotion levels down. And what I recommend is people try to communicate via email. And if you're angry and upset with the person, then write an angry email. Uh, don't send it. Reread it the next morning and edit it to take out all the emotion and then send it. And that way it'll keep uh, the conflict to a minimum. Right, that's a great tip. Even though you're in the same house, um, pause, write it down. Next day it may not be as big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah, Francesca? Um, well, I think this is a, another place where you have to find some sharing agreements because uh, you might have been living in the same house, but working outside, the actual amount of time you were sharing together before could have been probably uh, a few hours, uh, while now you're probably facing uh, living together 24 hours, and that's totally different. So. 
I think also finding agreements on how you share spaces could be uh, a good way to make this easier. And uh, if you're if you're if you're able to have meals together, uh, try find a way to do that in a very respectful way, especially if there are kids uh, that are together, so that the moments together are actually moments where the, the well-being of the kids, as Alison was saying, do that it's in, the, in their best interest always. If not possible, find an agreement where you can actually um, know when turns are to use a certain room or a certain place and how you can actually manage uh, a 24-hour schedule together. Yeah, those are great tips. Thank you. Um, Alison? Yeah, just uh, I guess to reiterate, um, communication is key. Um, you have to be able to let one another know in regards to how you're going to make this work, how you're going to manage this, because prior to this, you may have had what uh, a temporary nesting order in place where one parent might have been leaving the home for certain periods of time and then coming back. And if you are in uh, quarantine or being asked to socially isolate, you no longer have that option. So it can be helpful um, to also carve out time then if you are having to be in the home with one another 24 hours um, to have that one-on-one -on -one time with your child. Um, you could do a baking activity, a craft. Also, you could go for a walk um, just to allow you to have that space from your partner when required and have a really healthy, um, nice opportunity with your child one-on-one. Um, -on -one. Right, great tips. Thank you, everyone. All right, our next topic, uh, tips on access during quarantine. What would an interim access plan look like if the child becomes sick with the COVID-19 virus? Allison, can you take the lead on that? Sure, so parents may find themselves having to have a conversation about how are we gonna tackle this scenario if our child was to become ill? Um, how do we best support their health? Does the current access schedule um, suit that? Or do we need to make some tweaks and modifications around that? Because the more, most important thing is how, as I said, are you gonna support the child um, and their health and allow them to get better? So the regular access schedule may need to go on hold um, if the child's going to remain quarantine with one parent in their residence, uh, as that may support their needs the best. Um, as Jonathan said earlier, if that's the case, it's really important to allow the child to maintain in contact with the other parent. Um, you know, you can play games through uh, video chat, you can watch movies, you can read books together. There's all kinds of opportunity to maintain connected to the other person if the child is remaining in one household during this time. Just on that note, we've got lots of technology, right? FaceTime, oh. Skype. Uh, mm -hmm. Google Hangouts, this technology, Zoom, mm -hmm. even a phone call uh, is something if people don't have access to the technology. You also can take into consideration when making that decision, perhaps who's the best parent to step up to provide that for the child. Are there other vulnerable family members in one of the homes that perhaps it's best to stay in the other residence um, to not put other family members at risk if the child does fall ill? And rely on your local authorities as well um, to get directives and tips around that. Your family doctor as well, your pediatrician who can assist you to make the best decision for your child. Great, good tips. Francesca? 
Uh, well, currently in Italy, if somebody is uh, positive to the COVID, it has a, or exposed to that, has an absolute prohibition to go outside of the house for any reason. So uh, in case a child is ill and parents are living apart, it's, uh, it, it is sort of required that the child remains in one home, one parent looking after him or her and the other parent cannot access the house. Uh, in one case, parents were asking me if they could go and live back together so that they could be all there. And of course I said, it depends on you if that's what you feel is the best for your children. Of course mm -hmm. you can do that if you are able to live in the same home uh, in this situation and make the best out of it. Um, but of course it's, uh, it's extremely difficult. And also that decision, on who can be the best uh, parent in this situation to live with the child can also be a very difficult decision to make when both parents both feel that they are in that position and uh, it's difficult sometimes to acknowledge that there might be one parent that maybe even because it's it was the one that usually was looking after children when they were sick is uh, in fact going to be the best parent for that child in that moment while ensuring contact, so. Yeah, interesting. Jonathan? Yeah, I think it's important to uh, keep in mind that um, social workers, lawyers, family counselors, family mediators are still all working these days. They're just doing it remotely. And so if you need help mm -hmm. uh, out an interim access schedule because of the COVID-19 thing, don't hesitate to reach out because there's a lot of people out there who can help you and this video conferencing thing works really well. Right, and we need to get the message out there and uh, either through social media or marketing that professional services such as our own remain open for business, even yeah. though it's not gonna be face-to-face -face or walking into one of your offices, we're still able to help. Yeah. Yeah, sure. that's a great tip. Um, let's take a look at our next topic. Um, Maybe, and I think Francesca probably could take the lead on this. Interpretation of government requests or orders for lockdown, self-isolation, or other decrees where if it's not clear that the parents can move to see the children. Now, Italy is a bit two weeks ahead of us in terms of this pandemic and the curve and the crisis. And we all feel your pain, Francesca. We see the reports on the news. It's just shocking. Uh, and so North America is... Um, appears to be catching up quickly, unfortunately. But what tips do you have for us on this topic? Well, um, I think this is one of the cases, at least it was in Italy, uh, well, all this legislation made in emergency was really unable to come up with clear statements of what could be done and what could not be done in a very sort of certain way. And, uh, of course, people in the situations were looking for certainty and were going to professionals asking for help, but they really wanted clear answers that we were not able to, to give. Um, we went through stages. So at the beginning, we, could, uh, we were invited to self-isolate and stay at home. We could go out for either um, medical reasons, working, or uh, necessity, reasons of necessity. And uh, after some days of uh, uncertainty, we had guidelines for our, from our government that were clearly stated that 
stating that in the reasons of necessity, access to children uh, for parents that were separated uh, was actually one of the one of the situations that were thought from our government. Um, then last Sunday, we, while this crisis was really exploding, we had a much more restrictive order from our government. So strict lockdown, I don't know how that is possible, but it is. So we can only, if it's not for working reasons and a lot of businesses were closed, uh, and if it's not for a health reason, we can go out if it's uh, a reason of strict urgency. And where parents and children were, are in that strict urgency was very difficult to understand. Um, the, the interpretation that I think should all guide us is the, the concept of health, as you were saying before, I think Jonathan Russell. So it's, uh, it's really important for the children to have access to both parents the, the most they can. It's for their health and their well-being. Uh, so that's how we are actually interpreting the, the orders and finally yesterday there was a, a new clarification from our government that says that this is possible following the normal schedule. So parents that go out to see their children or to take them to their home are invited to have their uh, either court order or agreement, a copy with them to show if they're stopped by the police. Um, which is great when there is a court order or an agreement, but right. sometimes parents are not in that situation, either because the agreement was just a verbal agreement, they didn't need any uh, formalities, maybe the parents were married, so legally they wouldn't need to have a, a formal court regulation, or maybe because they're waiting for their hearing or when their agreement is going to be actually formalized or recognized. So that's, uh, those are the difficult cases. And, um, of course, it, when parents are agreeing and in a collaborating mode, this can be in a way easier because parents can sort of then write to one another and make agreements at that point, which can be then showed. But this is also cases where parents are taking advantage of the situation and, and conflict crisis and um, not cooperating as they should. So right. that's it's also difficult, yeah. What are the consequences uh, for somebody out on the street in Italy? Let's just say it's access related and they don't have a court order or they don't have documents. Uh, um, what's, what happens to them? The, the sort of the immediate consequence is that they are invited to turn their car and go back home or if they're walking, go back home and they are the police should actually make sure that this is happening. Um, if there is no uh, proved reason for why you're doing that, uh, you can be actually um, denounced to court and, and it, it can be either a, a more administrative or a criminal offence. It depends on how you actually behave. Um, courts are closed, so <laughs> This is not going to be an immediate consequence, but it will be on your records and you'll have to deal it when everything reopens. Right. Um, in Italy, I think we've seen also um, police officers being really stressed by not knowing actually what was their, uh, what they could say to, to parents in this situation. So it also often then ends up on how good the relationship you can establish in that moment is, how you can yeah. explain your reason. 
And uh, so one of the tips is that I'm giving to parents is really be calm, uh, you know, be prepared that the person you're going to meet might not know what's the right thing to do and might be just stressed by that. So, uh, Those are, yeah, you know, our governments are doing the best they can. And it always seems like we're about two weeks behind everything. Uh, in terms of catching up, we had an Amber alert go across our cell phones yesterday asking travelers to stay home. And I had people saying to me, why didn't that come out three weeks ago, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you know, and I think it's, I think it's really important what you were saying, Francesca, that that stress and distress does not flow over to the children. Cause often in very high conflict situations, a lot of the, um, that stress and disharmony between the parents and the uh, flows over to the children. And it's really important to keep that separate because this is already a very unsettling time for the kids. I think it's also really important to keep in mind that, um, you know, people who are living in situations of domestic violence or in controlling relationships, um, they still can access all the services. Um, if, if you are in that situation and, um, you know, you're, you're worried about balancing the public health uh, restrictions and uh, your own safety, always put your own safety and the safety of your children first and foremost and reach out and get the support that you need because, um, you know, exposure to domestic violence and abuse is, is much more of a serious uh, health problem and mental health problem than the viruses for, for children right now. And we're seeing increases in that, unfortunately. And I think that's a topic uh, for an entirely different podcast. There's so much uh, important discussion we need to have about domestic violence uh, during quarantine and isolation. All right, uh, Italy's experience. You're a few weeks ahead of us uh, in terms of this, the, you know, the curve that we hear, uh, you know, in the crisis on the healthcare system that you've experienced and the increased uh, deaths. Um, what can we expect? I know when we were talking earlier, Francesca, you kind of described um, your day with the military going up and down with sirens ordering people to be uh, stay inside. What's it like there and what can our listeners expect in the next couple of weeks? Um. Well, something I've learned that you can't expect anything now. <laughs> we just have to be facing the idea that uh, I don't think we can expect anything. It's going to be different from what we think. That's, that's the first thing I'm, I've been learning. Um, but certainly uh, our life here has changed a lot and it's changed gradually, probably because it couldn't have changed immediately as it's changed, as, it, as it's actually changed because it was just maybe unacceptable even uh, intellectually, emotionally and, and practically. So, so now what we do is really here in Milan, at least we really stay at home. Uh, you only go out if you are either allowed to go out for your work as an essential uh, business, uh, but um, professionals are really encouraged to go to their offices only if it's strictly necessary and you can't do what you can do from home. Uh, so what we can see is an incredible increase in online services that are provided. We were not so 
um, used to that, at least in, in, in Italy. So a lot of um, professional services like therapists, social workers and lawyers are starting really to increase that kind of service. And I think that is a good thing for, for, for a lot of reasons. Um, we we experienced uh we i live in milan which is quite a big busy city and quite polluted we have an incredible good air at the moment because everybody is at home and not using the car so i think there are also things that i would expect that we learn from this but i'm not sure we, we can um you should expect to be able to go out and start probably uh wearing masks when you go to a store or gloves that's what we're doing and uh, it's incredible how normal this can become. It's scary, in fact. That's my point of view, how normal it can become. Uh, we could go out and exercise outside and walk, but then there were too many people doing that. People really discovered the importance of running and jogging, even those that never did. Right. And so we, 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 we went through restriction to that. You can only do that really close to your house, alone, and if it's necessary. I don't know how you prove that somebody stops you but something sad was that people that were actually cycling or running were addressed badly by other people either from the houses or from the cars and uh, um, so that that shows the level of stress that was actually uh, is actually here at, at the moment I think, I think you've heard about singing from the balconies and doing a lot of entertaining stuff we did a lot of that at the beginning it sort of slowed down while the news got bad. It's like people don't really feel that it's a good thing to do anymore. So I hope we will go back to do that, even yeah. if I found it a bit sort of funny. But uh, People were concerned it was disrespectful to yeah. the people who had died. Yes. Yeah. How many weeks have you been in isolation for now, Francesca? So this is uh, day 20 of uh, lockdown. Um, uh, I can't believe it's day 20, really. I just discovered it today. And before we had two weeks where the schools were closed, um, uh, uh, bars and restaurants and gym uh, sort of gradually closed. They could stay open until like 6 o'clock and then p.m. and then they just shut down completely. So it was like a sort of gradual um, working through that. Uh, is there any is there any indication when the lockdown's going to end yet? So formally, it should be uh, April fifteenth, just after Easter. Right. Um, I think I think we're still hoping that's going to be that, but we're not sure anymore. Now, you you and I had an interesting discussion earlier in the week in terms of sort of the cycles that you went through in each week of isolation and how things for you changed. Uh, can you maybe just share that with our listeners so when they experience those things, they can realize mm -hmm. that this is normal and other people are having um, the same reaction? What, what I noticed was that in the first days, uh, there was a lot of energy um, in getting organized for this. So uh, everybody was actually making sure that like professionals could work at home, making sure your connection was good, how that could be working, uh, uh, reaching out to clients and letting them know that you were there, um, that business was still open. And I could feel the same energy in the clients I was uh, talking to. So they were all 
uh, wanting and feeling that this was just a temporary moment that we had to get organized, be doing it, but it was going to, to life was moving in any way. Uh, the second week was much different. So the, the flow of energy really dropped down. Uh, it dropped in us personally as well. I could see that in myself. It was like, um, there was like a need of slowing down of actually, actually getting used to what that meant and to making space into ourselves to actually accept this. And uh, the, the phone was not ringing at all, very few emails, like, so I, I probably had the impression that this was happening in, in my clients as well, like, uh, so that was, uh, this third week was a bit, um, a bit more moving, uh, I think, uh, but you could see people acting differently, those that are really saying, well, we have to start this again, we can't stay still, we have to do things, so wanting to do from podcasts to webinars to, right. you know, services, making sure you're there, and others that are instead um, really sort of uh, scared. And it probably depends on where you live. Uh, so my region is very affected at the moment. But at the same time, Milan itself is still sort of quite a, a good place to be compared to other small cities around where the situation is really extremely bad. Mm. Um, I think we also have to start being aware that clients might be experiencing uh, serious trauma uh, at the moment um, because uh, a very sad thing that's happening is that those who die cannot have a funeral. So there's no moment to actually say goodbye to them in a proper way. And I think this is very, very, uh, I can only imagine how, how, how terrible it can be for those who remain. And so I've, uh, I've had a client with this situation and I could really understand um, you know, how traumatic that experience was. And I think we have to be prepared to that. I hope that's not what it's expecting you really. So don't, don't, don't focus on that. I, I hope the curve is gonna be different. Uh, you probably moved faster than what we did so right it's good to hear your experience so just so we can you know manage our expectations and learn how to deal with isolation and in quarantine and maybe eventually lockdown so uh, keeping in mind that the, our topic here is child access during self-isolation lockdown and quarantines um one last topic before we move into our closing submissions uh Francesca, I'm kind of leaning on you a little bit in the end of this podcast. What tips do you have for Canadians uh, based on your experience so far dealing with um, the pandemic? What tips do you have for parents and child access? Um, I think the main tip is to really um, think as this, not as a disaster, but as an opportunity to do things differently. So to really... Um, go into co-parenting in a very important way. So sharing information, uh, how your children actually are feeling, how they are experiencing this moment. Be flexible to change uh, the schedules. Also uh, looking at how they feel. They might really feel better doing more longer periods with each parent, or they might in, in fact feel better doing shorter periods with, with each parent. I think this, this can be very different from situation to situation. So I would really encourage parents to find a way 
uh, with professional support when needed, because professionals are there to help you do this, to actually um, work together and talk together the more you can and keep the interest of your children as the main focus that should, should lead you. Great, great tips. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining me on a Saturday morning and take, using some of your weekend time to help get the message out. Uh, let's move into some closing comments and then we're going to send off. This, I think, has been a great podcast and our listeners and viewers are really going to find this helpful. Uh, let's, can we start with you, Jonathan? Closing comments? Sure, yeah. I just want to um, repeat something Francesca just, that, uh, Francesca just said that I think is wonderful. One of the best things I've heard so far is just turning this into an opportunity, not, not seeing it as a disaster. Um, if you have a positive attitude towards this situation, then uh, you can really make a positive difference in your life and, and make it much more, um, uh, you know, much more uh, easy to, to survive through this uh, uh, pandemic and all the restrictions that come. Uh, just see it as an opportunity to uh, take some time for yourself, take some time to spend with your kids, take some time to spend with your partner, uh, get stuff done around the house, relax, read a book, watch a great movie, you know, do the things that, that you wouldn't normally have time to do. Great, great tip. Allison? Yeah, as everyone's saying, it's an opportunity to work together, um, to role model. Um, the two of you um, as parents struggling in a very difficult time, but finding a way to work together, put your child's needs at the forefront and support a narrative of peace and harmony. And it's difficult times, so please look out for one another um, and be graceful and kind. Thank you, Alison. Francesca? I really like the being graceful and kind piece. I think that's so important. And um, I think this, this Dist social distancing that we are obliged to follow really speaks to the importance instead of that connection. And uh, so let's not forget to actually cherish that connection, even in a distancing way, as we're doing today, but to keep that going and to show him that and to help our children see that right. this is possible. This too shall pass. Um, my tip would be remember that professionals like you see with us today, social workers, lawyers, other professionals are open and able to help you. And we're able to help you with access issues. Um, we've all been trained to deal with this. We've all been doing this for uh, dozens of years uh, for some of us. Um, so access these services. We have another podcast that we did that talked about remote collaborative practice. Uh, so there are you can do use collaborative practice to work at your access issues. You can do it remotely. Allison and I recently worked with a family where from start to finish, we got their case done in under seven days. Wow. Um, we're really proud of it. And it, I think it just goes to show how all the professionals are stepping up and making time in their schedules and working late and working weekends to help parents through this very difficult time. So I wanna thank everybody for joining us. I wanna thank our listeners and viewers for watching us today. If you've enjoyed this presentation, please share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. Be safe, everyone. Thanks, Russ. Thank you. Bye. Wish everyone good health. <laughs>